Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet, where the hungry are filled with good things. I'm Charlotte, and I have Chad with me. There you go. We are so glad that you're listening, but we want to hear from you, too. Please take a moment to visit us at heavenlybanquet.com and to subscribe to our Substack, where you'll join a community of other listeners just like you. Uh, Chad and I will be posting extra content there, our thoughts, our prayers, some additional audio, too, and we'd really love for you to join the discussion there with us. Today, though, we are going to be talking about animals, animals in the Bible, animals in relationship to God. So a friend of mine recently, her family, the family dog died. She has a son who's in preschool, is really broken up about it, understandably, and um, he was having a really hard time in school and the teacher sent him to the office just you know so he could have some quiet time, some one-on-one time um, outside of the class. And the secretary in the office is saying, you know, what's, what's wrong, buddy? What's going on? And he tells her the dog has died. And he's like, I just don't know is, you know, what's happened to my dog. People say, I'll see my doggy again, but I don't know. And she declared that, no, you definitely will not. Oh, there no. Are <laughs> no animals in heaven. <clears throat> and uh, please have a much worse day than you're already having. Uh-huh. Which I guess let's just stop here for a moment because we just did that episode on what not to say to the bereaved. <laughs> Don't Don't tell some kid his dog's not in heaven. This is terrible. Um, But this is, you know, a a question that comes up a lot. So do animals go to heaven? Kind of want to start there as our prompt to get into this discussion. And, you know, my first answer to this question is to say that The Bible tells us the story of the relationship between God and humankind. It's not really concerned with this question. It doesn't seek to answer this question. You know one reason why, Chad? Animals can't read. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. They do not communicate in human language. God is not going to use the scriptures to tell uh, my dog and my cat about their eternal soul. God is communicating to them. It's through some other means. And actually, we'll, we do have some hints about that in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so some clues about the way that God relates to other created beings. Uh, so let me, I'm going to break for a moment to ask for your first thoughts here, Chad. Well, like you said, the scriptures are primarily human-centered. Um, it's interesting that in the creation account, kind of, well, it puts humanity up there as the image of God. And you might read that as humanity as the pinnacle of creation, but the scriptures are also pretty clear that humanity is the biggest problem in creation. Mm. And so the scriptures are primarily concerned with uh, getting us on track. It's one way to put it. And so... They don't really address 
these questions, not directly, but indirectly. Um, and I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, all sweet animals go to heaven. I'm going to go on a further limb and say, even the ones that aren't so sweet do. Oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> Which might be a little terrifying thought, but I don't think I don't I'm not sure it's fair for us to bring our morality into the natural world uh like that. But let's uh let's talk about it. So I'm gonna say that my first, you know, impetus for this claim is the creation story itself. You know, I mean <clears throat> that uh God creates all the animals in the earth and pronounces them good. And I don't believe that God creates things to destroy them. Right. So I, I believe that that will be preserved in some way. Um, I'm also you know, going to look at, and we'll talk about maybe in some more detail, the number of passages where we talk about the you know, consummation of all creation, the reconciliation of all things, um, of right. all things um, being restored. So certainly that includes the animals. And and my favorite kind of proof text for this, if you will, would be the, you know, Isaiah 11, uh, chapter 11, peaceable kingdom material that we're all so familiar with. But um that the image that Isaiah is using to show us what the restoration of things will be like, what a heaven or paradise will be like, a restoration of the garden, is that the wolf shall lie with the lamb, shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, you know, uh, cows and bears are grazing, um, lion shall eat straw like the ox, right? So, um, the animals are there. They're there right. in all of these pictures. Um, not only are they there, but they're using the image of animal life to talk to us about uh, what a perfect world for humans would be, too. Um, that if if there's peace between the animals like that, certainly there can be peace between us. Yeah, yeah. There's the uh, passage in Romans where... Romans 8, chapter 19 through 20, where it says creation waits with eager longing to be, be set free from its bondage to decay, to obtain freedom. That is, you know, groaning in labor pains. Mm -hmm. It's a it's an all-inclusive image of all of creation. So, <clears throat> I don't know. I, you know, you kind of wish the scriptures would be uh, more clear on some things, but... Although there's not a lot of ink used to talk about the redemption of all creation, it's definitely there. And maybe this is one of those instances where you know, we can't expect Scripture to tell us everything that might be the case. But I definitely think, so the Scriptures are anthropomorphic, uh, not anthropomorphic, anthropocentric, you know, human-centered. And the mm -hmm. tradition has certainly interpreted the scriptures with that emphasis. And so there's this huge gap in how we deal with, how we think about animals. Um, and, and to be honest, I think the tradition has encouraged a very, um, to, 
to think of animals in terms of utility and function instead of, mm. you know, integral aspects of the creation, you know, that we live, life on this earth is an organic whole. And of course we see it, uh, that failure to kind of develop a robust understanding of how God views the creation. We see that, you know, in, in current day neglect for creation, I think, you, you know, I'm sure there are smart folks working on it. You know, but we definitely, in terms of the tradition, we really haven't given it much attention. Yeah. So two things to follow up there. One, you're right. There's only a handful of texts that are really talking about this sort of reconciliation of all things, of all creation. Um, but I also, I can't think of a text that says all the world's going to burn. But uh, but humanity either. Right. So I don't know. I'm a little pressed to come up with a competing voice there, you know, so uh -huh. even though they're few, they're they're more than one and they accord with each other. Uh, so so mm. I think there's something something to be said about that. Um, and then you you're absolutely right. It's there's this broader human tradition that has so latched on to that one line in the creation story about humankind having dominion over the earth mm -hmm. and using that to assert dominance and i think you know some of these folks who really want to claim that you know there's nothing for animals but this world are really you know, still asserting their dominance or their very special place uh within creation i don't i, I don't think it would make uh you know, a, a heaven, any less of a heaven for me that, guess what? There are going to be other people there. <laughs> there are going to be, uh. you know, that it has to be the most exclusive club in the world, right? How can there not be plenty good room in a, in a paradise um, for all of us? And, you know, God seems to really enjoy animals too, right? It's not just that God has created these uh, these creatures and pronounces them good and seems to um, love them that way. But, um, you know, we have these pictures of God sporting with Leviathan, of playing, you know, of mm -hmm. um, and of God uh, using animals or I don't know, conscripting them, <laughs> giving them their own mission within the story. Yeah. Um, you know, so the whale in Jonah, this this figure there, um, and and we have some weird things where God seems to be connected with the animals too. In that same Jonah passage, or Book of Jonah, when. Uh, it proclaims repentance to Nineveh and the king says, okay, um, everybody gets straight or the city's going to be destroyed. The king proclaims that not just the people will fast and pray and be uh, clothed in sackcloth, sackcloth and ash, but that the animals will too. Yeah. Uh, which is in some point, I maybe hyperbole and kind of like, you know, giving us an example of the extremities to which this, you know, King is, is taking the uh, warning from Jonah. 
but in another way, it's you know, if the whole city is going to be destroyed, that means the animals will bear the uh, brunt of human sin too, um, yeah. and need somehow to join us in reconciliation. So uh, you know, we have something to at least ponder within that. I think. Um, yeah, and, and we doesn't have God. Oh. Doesn't God say at the end there when Joe, when uh, Jonah's all sad because the plant dies, doesn't God say, look, you know, I have all these people to worry about and the cows too. <laughs> <laughs> when the plant doesn't God's just like, die, does it God, God sends a worm, right, to destroy yeah. it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, like I'm, this isn't just about you, my little buddy. And it's not actually <laughs> just about these folks. I got a lot. I got a lot going on. Um, yeah. And of course, God's favorite metaphor for us throughout scripture is sheep, right? It's something like over 500 times that either in scripture that God either calls God's self a shepherd, God or Jesus, you know, or uses that metaphor and with us as sheep. So, which is actually really insulting. Uh, in many ways. To sheep? <laughs> no, to us. Well, maybe both. <laughs> maybe I haven't considered that. <laughs> I mean, they're not smart. They stink. They can't get themselves out of their own trouble. They have no means to defend themselves. They're just kind of, you know, fluffy idiots. And, um, <laughs> but, but that means that God knows them and intimately cares for them and knows their, you know, weaknesses and whatnot. And that that's what God is projecting onto us. But yeah. Yeah. In the uh, Sabbath uh, law, at least I don't, in the Exodus version, you know, it says even the animals are supposed to rest. The Sabbath. Yeah. Um, don't muzzle the ox. When, uh, when you're plowing your fields. Another thing is, and I was looking through some of the wisdom literature, um, especially Proverbs, you know, it has all this, go to the ant, you lazy bones, consider its ways and be wise. They don't have a chief or a ruler, but they gather food for summer. You know, God is saying, look, look at the animals and uh, learn something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Or in Matthew, um, you know, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So you both have um, instances where it's clear that God cares for the animals, and then God holds them up as like examples. <laughs> Humans, look at the animals and learn something, please. <laughs> Right. So what are we learning from the ants? How to work, how to work cooperatively, right? Yeah. The ants the ants don't have any chief or officer or ruler. That's not actually true. <laughs> <laughs> although although I think it is true that um if ants or bees end up not liking their queen, that they just kill her and pick another one. So there's there's lots of ants and be insurrection uh, to there. <laughs> so it is primarily a cooperative activity. How about uh, Job chapter 12? 
but ask the animals, they will teach you, the birds of the air, they will tell you, the fish of the sea, they will declare to you. And what do they declare? Who among all these does not know the hand of the Lord has done this? So it's like the animals know God's running the show. The Lord is good to all and has compassion over all that God has made. Again, I think it goes back to this fact that we are part of an organic whole. Yeah. So the original intention, clearly, that we're part of the organic whole, and that seems to be what's going to be restored. And I'm saying clearly because there's no uh, slaughter of an animal. There's no eating of an animal, you know, until the actual curse, right, in Genesis mm -hmm. 3, when things fall apart. I mean, before then, it's high, you know, humanity. There's plenty of food just growing out of the ground for yeah. you to eat. Um, doesn't seem, the animals all seem to be doing the same. Um, and then uh, as the world is transformed, and we end up in a uh, contentious relationship with nature. Then we see something with creation, something different brought onto yeah. the scene there. We live in a strange situation because the way that life kind of, we feed off each other, it's unavoidable. And you don't see that in the beginning or the end, I assume. I was kind of left field, sorry. No, I mean, well, no. I mean, this, at least this vision in Isaiah, the animals are vegetarian. Right, so, right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's, they're bears grazing. <laughs> like, it's crazy. <laughs> right? So, yeah. um, there, and, and I think, you know, when we're talking about living as an organic whole, both of those visions are asserting that there's plenty to sustain everyone to sustain all of creation already set into the system it's us it's our dominance it's our self-centeredness that has gotten everything out of whack out of proportion you know and this kind of myth of scarcity around it i mean that comes back even to your, you know your matthew 6 passage look at the birds of the air they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns but your heavenly father feeds them they're fine they don't need to be doing yeah. all that stuff. Um, they're not freaking out. No, they're taken care of. There's plenty here already for them. There's really plenty here already for you too. But you think you, we need to compete for resources, and that's actually a lie. Yeah. So we have this depiction of animals at least being part of repentance, right? Of animals repenting. We have some images of that in Scripture. We have some images of at least all of creation involved in some form of worship or recognizing God's glory, praising God in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have this uh, kind of wild story of Balaam's, Balaam's ass, <laughs> right? But a donkey um, who is able to see an angel in the road that Balaam mm -hmm. can't. Um, right. Which I think is interesting. It's not a great, it's a kind of distressing story because he beats this donkey near to death because yeah. it won't travel on this road. But um, <clears throat> he beats the donkey so hard the donkey starts to talk because it, uh, which is crazy. But 
I think is also interesting. Anyone who has lived with animals or observed them for a long time, as your Proverbs uh, verses tell us to do, uh, mm-hmm. we'll see this kind of phenomenon of what on earth is that animal looking at right now? I can't see it. Which I'm not saying, you know, when your cat is looking in the corner of the room, that your cat is an angel. angel. (laughs) But they do seem kind of open in some ways to to sense, to experience things that are beyond our capacity. I mean, just just by mere fact that their senses are actually more heightened than ours. They have more keen eyesight, sense of smell, everything else. But interesting that in that in that story, it's it's the animal that can see the the angel, and not not the human. Yeah, and that's not the only yeah, the... place that we see animals <laughs> um, asserting some kind of agency within God's plan too. So we have the whale in Jonah, and then we have this great story you're going to tell us about about uh, Elisha and the bear. Oh no. The bears. When the kids are making fun of Elisha because he's bald, they're calling him Baldy. Yeah. And he basically curses them, and then bears come out and tear him to shreds. That's a horrible story. I don't know what to make of that, actually. Well, it. Yeah, I guess I wish it were children. I think that's the problem with the story. Although, I mean... It's a bunch of guys that would be okay, a bunch of older No, dudes. I mean, maybe not okay, but I mean, I guess there's something, there's something vindicating about that story with, you know, anyone who has been bullied or maligned in some way that you kind of like to think that there's something more on your side. But, uh, but yes, it's an extremist response <laughs> to an insult, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I don't have the text before me. I don't know if it's children or youth. Or, but yeah, there's a crowd of kids of some age calling Elisha Baldy, if I remember right. They're like yeah. calling him names and stuff. They get mauled by bears. And I guess the idea was, you know, don't mess with God's prophets, but it seems a little overdone. But, you know, just going back, I think the, the Christian tradition has encouraged a view of animals where they're primarily seen as you know, tools or in terms of their function. There's no doubt that uh, we use animals in various ways. I think that coupled with kind of the metaphysic that says that animals don't have a soul or a spirit, depending on how you carve that, that we've neglected to reverence our function in relation to them, you know, our interdependence. You know, again, going back to some of the literature when the prophet verbs, it says, you know, know the condition of your flocks, pay attention to your herds. Uh, I think it's just commending better stewardship. You know, I think of other faiths that are really in touch with how interrelated our lives are with the lives of animals. And so, even though they, you know, use animals and they eat animals, they have a much more reverent, respectful way of thinking about them. And I say tradition, maybe this is just a more modern thing where we've just gotten out of touch with 
connected we are to the land and the animals and creation and how all of that works together. And maybe at this point in time, we're starting to reflect more on that just because of need. I don't know. But but I definitely think there's a, a gap there, and I'm kind of repeating myself. But it's just one of those areas we really, as Christians, I think, should think uh, more, more in depth theologically about our relationship to animals and how we treat them, how we use them, how we think about them. And they're sweet. Puppies are sweet. Kitty cats are sweet. Some of them are. Some of them will bite you. Uh, that's not their fault. Um, no, I was just thinking too, while you were talking, you know, we keep, we, uh, reference kind of the Genesis accounts as the creation stories as this is what God wanted to happen. This is what God means to happen. Uh, the intent, the divine intention, uh, spelled Mm -hmm. out there. And, you know, in the Genesis two creation story, and once again, you guys, there's two creation stories that, are separate, distinct in accord in some ways. But in the Genesis 2 story, you know, God lays out the earth, creates Adam, and then creates the animals. And it says creates the animals as God's looking for offering companionship and a helpmate to Adam. You know, and, and then there's this kind of image of like a parade, right, where all the animals come before Adam and he Adam names them. Um, and kind of gets a look at him, whatnot. And then that ends up being taken again, uh, with this kind of dominance thing. You know, you've mm-hmm. named them, you've claimed them, they're yours, sort of thing. But that's obviously not what, not what's happening in the text. It even, I mean, it says, you know, God was, it's not good for man to be alone. And God's first response to that was to make all the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and all the, everybody else wandering around the earth. So that's leaving open at least the possibility, or that God thinks it's possible, that we have companionship and friendship and can get to know the divine better through animals there. Yeah. And it was almost a failing of Adam in some way that said, I don't think any of these are going to quite cut you know, quite do it for me, that that leads to the creation of Eve there, but that God thought that the animals were suitable enough. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of creation is sacred in a sense. For God so loved the cosmos that God sent the Son into the world. Just go back to this thought that this human-centered emphasis in the scriptures, we've We've misunderstood it to mean, like you're saying, dominance, and we're the only ones that really matter. And really, that human-centered focus is there because we're the biggest problem. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, I mean, it's almost Adam's, I, I think you could read, I'll go ahead and posit this reading, uh, that it's Adam's self-centeredness even then, that says none of these will do, make me another me, basically. That's what I'd like. If I had my choice of someone to hang out with, right, go ahead, get bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'd like a duplicate, please. Um, Is my my ideal companion would be, could I be twice? Well, we're glad that happened. (laughs) Are we? I don't, yeah, no, I guess. (sighs) 
I haven't really thought about that passage that way. I'm, I'm thinking through it. I mean, I, I hadn't thought about it that way either until, I don't three minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, this is how theology is done. You just throw things out there, see what sticks see what on sticks. the wall, see what your friend says, see if they're, how, uh, how concerned of a face they're making while you say it. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you'll walk it back and sometimes you'll go, I think I have said something of pure genius. Yes, um, right. <laughs> now in this case <laughs> I think I, I was, might have I said was... something worth, <clears throat> worth pondering but yeah <laughs> I don't know it's interesting no. I'll have to think about that please do <laughs> please get back yeah. to me well. and oh Aish. good oh, oh yeah No. <laughs> do you have another that. thought go ahead share it you know I, I'm this is kind of my own thing. I think all of creation is sacramental. And what I mean by that is God is revealed through all of it. And I just think we don't. I'm sitting in the backyard yesterday. You know, I'm surrounded by life. The grass is alive. The trees are alive. Charlotte, there were five squirrels picking up nuts yesterday. I was amazed. It was wonderful. I'm like, I'm surrounded by life. This is just think we fail to grasp God values all life in general. I mean, there's no doubt, and this kind of goes back to this weird situation we're in, that life in this world depends on other life that has died. Um, it's just this sacred process where, you know, most of the things that give us nutrition are living things that have died, whether they be plants or animals. Um, and there's a sacredness to that whole process. And why we as Christians aren't grasping onto that and acknowledging that. And I think you see that in the scriptures. So maybe there's a modern failing on our parts. Again, we're so separated from the food chain, whether it be plant or animal. You know, we go to the store, we get a package. Right. Maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. It's just the sacredness of all life. God's real big on life, y'all. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm not sure how to cash that out, but. So does that mean there might not only be dogs and cats and hamsters and sheep in heaven, but also maybe ticks and mosquitoes oh, no. and tardigrades? Tardigrades are already eternal. <laughs> <laughs> Water bears. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, we should maybe be observing them even more and learning, <laughs> right? Yeah, so are, like, viruses going to be in heaven? Or, I mean, that's fine if they act right. That's that's how I think about it. Well, yeah, they're supposed to be, they shouldn't be feeding off of us, right? Because it's... Yeah. Great, so we could look forward to that. We could have a little chat with uh, COVID-19. So what what was that all about, anyway? Yeah. Well, be, because in that heaven, we'll be able to see uh, God in all, all through God. So maybe then we'll, we'll, we'll know the plan, what, what the heck was yeah. going on. We'll see how it all works together. Let's hmm. the question. Do animals go to heaven? I say yes. Is Jesus going to come back on a horse unless there are horses? Is that even right? Where am I getting <laughs> 
I'm just making stuff up now. <laughs> Chad, I think that's a perfectly fair point. <laughs> he does ride onto the field in of Armageddon with a uh, what soaked in blood and yeah. riding a a horse. So yeah, I guess. <laughs> And, and At this wait, point wait. in time, a, ver a very literal reading is to my advantage. <laughs> What's the deal with that horse, though? <laughs> great, yeah. No, I think that's a great place for us to hinge our entire interpretation. <laughs> well, I think I think it's past time to wrap it up. Then <laughs> I think that's proof right there. I'm kidding. <laughs> I already said some some wild things. Um, but again, you guys, uh, we can hear from you now too. So, uh, join us at heavenlybanquet.com, subscribe to our Substack. If you can join the uh, community there, join the conversation there and you comment on these things and we can keep, uh, keep chatting about it. So tell us, what do you think? You can throw in these... your wild theories too. Yeah, talk to us about the other animals that we haven't mentioned yet. See what they've got going on. And we could talk about will the um, uh, will the snakes in heaven have legs or not? We can get really deep into some of these issues uh, here. So, and and I love playing those kinds of games. So, I will absolutely entertain your wildest <laughs> your wildest wonderings. 